0: Introduce yourself. It's been a bit since I've seen you, but let other people know who you are. That yeah. maybe listen for the first time. Yeah, I'm Josh Snowhorn. I'm the CEO and founder of
1: Quantum Pool. Um, I race cars. I surf. I've been in the data center industry for 25 years now.
0: So uh, it's been a bit since we hooked up. It's about a year since I seen you probably maybe longer yeah year, yeah two years maybe i feel like a year, a, half, call a year and a half you came to dcac didn't you dcc got e- dcac yeah that's right yeah okay. dcac sorry not dcc that's like, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's data center easy, coalition easy now yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, um, but you, i saw you but it's been a lot because man all i see is how busy you guys are and i see a lot of stuff and you're out there in the mud and the blood and the beer and you're swinging through shit so yeah. I remember yeah. i was like hey I knew you're the perfect person to include into this fold of series of podcasts that we have that are going to have a lot of the titans of industry and a lot of the the, the legends that kind of are, not they're not all sunsetting, but I kind of look at this industry. How old do you think this industry is? I mean, I I started in
1: '99, so, but I mean the yeah, I probably give it another six or seven years before that when it really started being data centers that were okay. relevant to the internet. You know that were they
0: were commercialized, and you're starting it's, to. So we could agree that it's between twenty and thirty years old. Oh this yeah, industry. Yeah, probably closer I, in the middle, maybe twenty five years. I probably call it thirty, really. Okay, because then you, you've got well, your network nerd shit that you're all about too. I know that you go high, wide, and deep on that side. That was way ahead of the space power and cooling changes that were following. Oh, hyper cloud didn't exist. Hyperscale didn't
1: exist. It right, was just there was compute, but it was it was deployed as as host web hosting, not not you know partitioning. You know, servers and selling those bits. I mean, Amazon created that. They had a bunch of spare compute because of their shopping season. How you know, about that?
0: That they sliced and diced and created the cloud. So Oz is coming on this show. So he's going to come. And like, obviously, I have a thousand questions regarding that because you were probably during dear, dear, dear the Genesis. What's, um, Bilotti mentioned him on the last podcast too. Is it, uh, Madison or Joe uh, Manrek? No, there's a, oh man, there's another guy there that, He's one of the, he's the oracle of AWS. The I've talked to a lot of people that have been there for a long time. Like this is the this is the HMFIC that thought the whole thing through. It, he's that. Well, I mean, the, I think this Josh c- Madison or something. The some,
1: CEO of Amazon. I'm forgetting names. No, because I never dealt with that. But he ran AWS. He was there from the beginning. The guy who was originally and Oz was there. Early, I don't know how, how early days if it was day one, but certainly. Very earlier, maybe before it. I, I really don't know. But um, the guy I always dealt with was Joe Minerick, who's now the chief operating officer of Data Bank. Oh, okay. But he was there forever. Joe was just eons. And, and so he would come to me and, yeah, you know, they were only taking a couple hundred square feet in a cage. And that was a node of the cloud and then then all was of a sudden volume back then yeah and then then it was like an entire data hall and then and then you know then it was 10
0: megawatts then it was and now it's just you know gigawatts and gigawatts of power and that's where you're at and like i'm really excited because when i first started this thing you were one of the first concepts because you what you're dealing with is something that's not ahead of the curve but it's at the tip of the curve right of where we're going as an industry mm-hmm. but what my my message my point was um I'm doing this series of podcasts with those that were here 25 years ago, let's just say during the genesis of this industry, right? And uh, so this industry is 25 years old, more than half of our industry has been in this industry for more than 20 years. And in the next year or two, we'll start seeing some serious sunsetting, you know, um, uh, the silver tsunami, they're calling it, right? All the people that have been in this industry for more than 20 years, like you, I've been in this industry for more than 20 years as well. And if you think about it, this is if it if it were the automotive industry we would have been sitting here side by side watching henry ford and all of his peers build this automotive industry but instead we were watching you know uh, the Bilates and the peters and the um you know the kava's and the furlongs and and whoever you know the oz's and all the other guys that you were probably up there in orbit you know trucking with them on the on the stuff that you were doing as well but i'm i'm patching them together to talk a lot about energy right and mm-hmm. i'm i'm using them to educate me more on energy so i could well to educate us all i'm just the selfish guy instead of a microphone that uses the platform that says hey everybody's starving for this data same reason why we have dcac um what you deal with is you're a and you know I, i'm not going to s- speak for you but i've always tried to explain it to others that they ask me the difference is i see you're a wholesaler to the wholesalers You're master planning campuses that are master planned for a homogenous environment that could be, you could have all of Famga there plus five of the top operators and they could all be neighbors and you don't care. You're designing it for that, that scale and volume and velocity. Am I exactly. about right? You're exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So to that end, what's the number one constraint for everything in our industry right now? That's power. hundred percent. Hands down across the country. Yeah. And to that end, like you have to be. In the same place that i'm at today which is holy shit, we need to know as much as we need to know about power and for your sake more than anybody else's because you're offering a product that's predicated on a demand and of a, fu- a capacity to fulfill a large aggregate volume demand of power Yep. how do you do that you know and so that's why i'm like josh let's catch up man it's been a bit and i didn't we didn't talk prior to this because i'm like we don't have to, you could tell me while we explain to the world, whoever's gonna be listening to this, and this is codified and it's gonna be locked in because mm-hmm. just like in 25 years ago, when we were all here during the birth of this industry, now we're watching you know, the first generation of those captains of industry begin uh, sunsetting. We're still in this game for a, fi- a bit, right? Yep. And, um, and there's some big changes that need to take place and we need to address a lot of the things with power. So I want to address it with you to where, what are we doing because we're moving towards the path. you guys are moving the industry move towards the path of how you're master planning these things because we have no choice right. power is gonna force us but at the same time what are you seeing and what are you doing about it and where is the pain is it coming if it if it's if it's uh, some sort of constriction from regulatory authorities or is it us is you know people daunting my backyard bullshit or like I know I just threw a bunch at you. It's all that. But I know you got it upstairs to probably pick up all this. So go with it. Unleash. Uh,
1: I'll give you uh, a... put power in perspective of history here. So my claim to fame when I ever started in this industry was building NAPA the Americas, which at 750,000 square feet and 130 megawatts was the biggest data center in the world at the time. Yeah. That opened in June of 2001. And where was it? It was like in Miami or something. Downtown Miami. Yeah, it's still there. Um, it's now Verizon owned it, then Equinix uh, now. And and it handles, it's estimated 90 to 95% of all the traffic between North and South America goes through that building. So it's critical, critical infrastructure. Really the last nascent net new G giant scale internet exchange ever built in this country um so think about that seven hundred fifty thousand square feet 130 megawatts and that was how many carriers were in that
0: building like cross connects could you get oh
1: god 500 250 i don't know Uh, how many carriers yeah i mean you got i have no idea at this point because i've been out for so long it was ridiculous though
0: right i'm sure it's probably one of the biggest carrier
1: hotels day one it was two and i'm running around because dot-com bust happened we opened our doors in the midst of the dot-com bust it couldn't nice. have been a worse situation. Yeah. We had a going concern on our stock because we were public entity for, I don't know, three four years. It was terrible. Um, I was running around in ANOG and peering conferences and everything else saying, we're a tier one NAP, you know, a tier one internet exchange. It was just, it was like, say it enough and everybody will eventually believe it. We did have undersea cables that were aggregating there. We um, I, I can tell you that when we were opening the doors, the leases that were supposed to be going to effect would have sold out the entire building. That was Global Crossing, Broadwing Global Center. You start to get the gist of these companies sure. that disappeared, right? Um, and, and at the time, Miami was like the edge of the internet. It was a spur. You know, people had some DS3s going down You don't hear DS3s much anymore, but it was tiny stuff. Sprint. I remember when Sprint was relevant, turned up. I, I don't know something like sixteen OC192s, which would have been unreal at the time, and they were gone instantly. And it was, it was, you know, that was a reality check for them. They were putting a big, their own big pop there, and all these things. It organically. Through, uh, I call it hundred hours a week of my personal work of just spewing because I was good at that and doing a lot of guerrilla marketing and just convincing people to interconnect there, and then it, it drove and built. But, but yeah, that's that's a story for that yeah, could go yeah. on and Sorry, on. Sorry, history was a of that. Question on but money. power is the big thing. So. If you equate it to that and then you look at what Quantum Loophole is doing up in Maryland, we're just 20 miles from Equinix Ashburn, so we're at the center of the internet. So, that is where you know, there's just un- unmitigated growth. Uh, most of it's in Virginia. Uh, Maryland has its own issues. I'm happy to talk about that as much as I can. Sure. Um, and we're getting through all that, luckily. But um, our single site is 2,164 acres, so it's three and a half square miles in scale. It's bigger than the city of London. That's the okay. Site. So that's the site you have, and I forget last time you were on. What was that site prior to that? It was a Alcoa aluminum smelter. So when you smelt aluminum, you have massive amounts of electricity to go through all the processes. Um, it's a brownfield site, so it had cyanide, fluoride, in its past, just in the middle of the campus where the smelter sat. That's already been mitigated and remediated, sure. but um, but it still sat there. the The crazy thing, and you could never even you think about we we picked up this site. Uh, We went into contract in, I'm trying to think here, in uh, around August of 2020. And and now, you know, we're just going, we're in 2024 now. If you just think about trying to pick up a site that had two 30KV lines on transmission poles dangling, waiting for somebody to build a substation. Like, it's just 20 miles from Equinix. Like perfect situation. Um, The reason we went full bore into Maryland and why nobody else had before is because Maryland had no data center tax incentives. A bunch of hyperscalers have been lobbying for it, spent a long time building that up. And we found out it about a month after it passed, and we're like, oh, God, we're too late. We're never going to make it. We call up the economic development people are like, well, you can talk to Alcoa, but like a hundred people have tried to buy that site and they just won't sell it to anybody. They want a specific, they want a lot of money and they want a specific kind of entity to be a purpose for it. Yeah. Well, and, and they want somebody who's going to be a good steward. It, can, it could never be residential because of its past. Yeah. Um, it had to be something industrial. It had to be something that wouldn't be too impactful to the neighbors. They, they, they still want to be good stewards of the things that they left there. Um, and they gave us a prize. It's public. We paid $100 million for the property, which is 49000 an acre, including ag and industrial. Uh, that site will probably generate $2 billion of revenue in sure. the end at end state. And it's
0: 20 minutes from Northern Virginia where 20 the- 20 miles. Uh, 20 miles. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, the roads, you got to go down and get around a bridge. It's a little longer that way. But what's way, the but- price per acre- if you're going fifty thousand, where you're at, and it's our contracts now are millions like, of dollars, just twenty yeah. minutes south of you. So oh yeah, you'd be Prime at, real estate.
1: If you're like in Ashburn Core or even Leesburg, you're at three, four million an acre sure. right now. It's crazy, and and uh, and you've got a power problem because Dominion has hot power lines. Um, they can't get more electrons down those lines. Their 500 lines are hot. They're distrib- most of Ashburn's on distribution, not even true transmission. And if that core transmission's hot, then what happens? Now, it's all a grid. It's Dominion connected to first energy, which is our transmission provider connected to this and that. And, you know, it's that's the PGA marketplace, uh, which is uh, Pennsylvania. I, for- I forgot what the J is and the Maryland. But <laughs> anyway, the um, so. And interconnecting through that, um, you know, we we looked at that and said, okay, we have this smelter site with massive entitlement, former industrial site, power lines there right next to a core substation called Daubs that has all kinds of new mass scale power in it and new stuff coming to it. It's like a hub for the entire region. It's First Energy's transmission system. Potomac Edison is their owned distribution, but we're right on transmission. Multiple, two different paths of multiple 230 lines with 500s, three miles away. And we went through de- what's called a detailed load study with the utility. So you can go to any utility and say, "Hey, what do you have on those power lines?" And be like, "We don't know." You know, so you have to fill out some paperwork, and then I'll give you a power kind of spot check. Sometimes, to not make all. sure, is that to make sure there's capacity available, or it's Just not oversubscribed some kind cable? of capacity. Just because you have power lines doesn't mean you can. They like if you were on Dominion and Ashburn, they're hot. You're yeah. not going to get a. You're not going to get a megawatt out of it. So, so first you do that and then you try and get some assessment. That's usually a phone call and they don't really know who you are and it's probably maybe with or without an NDA. And then and then you, when you really engage, and this takes a long time, you do a detailed load study. And that's really analyzing and engineering and understanding interconnections, backend power lines, everything else. Not just what's on those, but what it would take to augment and the wonderful thing with first energy is because there was a former smelter site massive scalability day one but as it ramps up we can do two and a half to three gigawatts uh, on that site now we're here in the city of austin we're both we both live here city of austin's energy production 10th biggest city in the country is 3000 megawatts three gigawatts for this for austin energy so put that in context we are equal to the city of austin the 10th biggest city in the country in one little site so what we're building is city-scale infrastructure. Now, if you think about grid and you think about the that you know, comparison to my past at 130 megawatts and 750,000 square feet, we have entitlement to do 14 to 28 million square feet of data center space on the side. Depends if you're one or two stories. It's all up to whoever sure. builds it and what they want to do. But two's the limit. Two stories is the limit, 60 foot building height without getting a variance. And those are hard to get, you know, there's a lot of NIMBYism in in, Maryland and especially anywhere. (laughs) there's a lot of NIMBYism in, uh, unless you're in Texas where we can do anything and it takes 90 days, but you know, it's a different state. That's why we live here, I think. But, um, Maryland certainly is, 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 uh, restrictive. There's a lot of history there. We have neighbors whose family have been there since the 1600s. Our man, our, our campus has the manor house that belonged to the last living signer of the declaration of independence. It's called Carrollton manor, obviously a historic site sits right in the middle of our campus. So, and, and our CTO and CFO are living there cause they are executing the project. So they're living in this, it probably has ghosts. I don't know, but you know, that's, that's crazy. That's the wild history there. So, so because of that people are very embedded there for you know hundreds of years of generations they're they're very protective of the farming they're protective of of the water they're protective of everything so you know luckily we already had entitlement and industrial land in the middle from from a power perspective we look at we look at a site because we're we're land energy water and fiber when i say water it's uh, cooling water to cool the data center. So we facilitate that. We build all of that horizontal infrastructure. When we when we look at power, we look at what's available on the grid through these detailed load studies at any campus we're going to do anywhere. You have to isolate that. And you, you want transmission power. That's always a focus for us. We're never on distribution. So that would be at a minimum 138 kV all the way up. If you're on AEP system, all the way up to 765 kVs, that'd be the best. And not every utility will crack those. So, you know, all depend. It's a lot of factors to it. Um, we look at something called peak grid. So what is the possibility that that detailed load study carries for us? So we know we can do two and a half to three gigawatts. Um, there's gonna be augments needed and all kinds of things. And in some case to get to the full three gigawatts, there's a hundred miles of back end augments, but that takes time. And the utility has time to augment and, and reconductorize their lines to be newer so they can handle it and everything else. And they do that through FERC and NERC rules and with PGM cooperation and,
0: cause it's all a system. Yeah, you know, it's not, it is, it's a meshed grid. Um, are they asking you to build any of these things and then buy and so they can buy them from you in the future or they're like, w- how fast can they move at the pace of what they want to, or will you be able to, to build something that you need yourself and then give it to them? No, to, it's never fast enough. So, okay. so, uh,
1: but I'll, I'll get into that. So the things we funded as uh, first is a substation for first energy or Potomac Edison, their distribution entity massive gigawatt scale day one substation there's multiple substations that'll be phased in around the site and that takes a long time for permitting you still have to go before the planning commission even the utility does um they're they're the when we were going through planning commission the one of the commissioners spent delayed because they had concerns around noise from a 230 to 34 step down transformer i'm like like I'm like, what noise? And because it was a it was an off kilter question that nobody ever asked because they deploy these all the time. That it caused, delayed everything. It caused about six week delay and stress. Yeah, yeah, everything about what we do is is unprecedented and stressful. A, a 230 kV transformer sounds like your 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 uh, dishwasher. Like that's the amount of dB. So it's but it had to be proven. The commissioner wouldn't approve until it was proven. And that's fine. Yeah, you know, that's their prerogative to do that. So everything is you know, unfamiliar and at a scale that's unprecedented. Now, once you get to peak grid, where do you go? You know, what, what happens? So is peak grid 3000 megawatts? Cause that's what the detailed load study is, or, or will that be augmented? Let's say to, f- you know, 5,000 megawatts or something like that. And again, you know, it's, it's, it's mind boggling scale of what we do to sure. power our clients who need it on the campus. And they really need it. It's not a, you know, it's not a joke. It's, you know, we, we have three-way NDAs with our clients and the utility and they're, you know, if there's any doubt, once they see who our clients are and they get in front of them, they're, you know, the shock and awe. Sure. Hits them. And then they, and I mean, huge teams dedicated to this. Um, First Energy talks about us in their earnings reports and what it's going to mean. Uh, you can imagine the single biggest consumer of power in a single site anywhere in the country is going to be our campus today. Now, there might be others. that Maybe you doing it somewhere else, right? We are. Yeah, we're, we're, we're looking hard in Texas. We're looking hard in Illinois. We're looking hard in California. But, you know, our eye on the ball is executing the biggest project ever created in this industry that's rapidly come to fruition that has been immensely difficult. So keep the team focused on that. Everybody's working on other things at the same time, but we never take our eye off the ball on that. Now, how do I get beyond peak grid? When I talk about grid, that's power lines, you know, coming from afar, uh, where is that power coming from? You know, if it's coming from West Virginia, you can guess it's mostly coal or maybe some gas turbines. It could be coming from a nuclear plant that's in Maryland. It could be coming from a nuclear plant up in Pennsylvania. I mean, I, I, literally ambivalent, and you can't you can't actually choose your electron. You can buy power purchase agreements from some some trans, some uh, generator. First Energy is purely wires; they're just transmission. Maryland legally decoupled that, and that is First Energy's business. They they do like three gigawatts of production but that's like nothing um uh, the biggest nuclear provider in the country is uh constellation i think they do maybe almost 50 gigawatts of nuclear in the country so so just to give you a recipe sure. of scale so when we look at it now how are we going to get beyond that it might be it might be we're, we're not a power plant operator um, but as as a as a as a facilitator of of the easy button of this infrastructure we acquire the land entitle it we do that Very boring work of underground sewage, potable and non potable water. So, the long term infrastructure. Right. So, we deal, and and it's funny because we're dealing with sewage and we deal with non potable water, which is really treated poo water. So, we have poo and poo is, you know, one of our big focuses. We got to do it. You know, that's not glamorous, but that's what we got to do. We have underground duct banks all around the campus. We have to build to interconnect everything. And that, you know, that's mind bending to think about how you're going to create that. Power distribution from substation to property and, you know, how do you cross creeks and bore this and do that? And it's, we're trying to do a dig once approach we're five stories below the ground with very complicated camp piles to prevent water issues because of the history of the property to get the sewage lift station and pumps five stories down to make sure that all the flows go into the right thing so we're we're basically doing the county's sewage infrastructure work for a city scale campus we're building a city yeah um all those things are incredibly complicated now the the next step for us in in the energy world is looking at things like batteries and how can we maybe potentially and the technology is just not there yet but in the future when the when talk about a microgrid solution with a better battery solution yeah Mike there's different versions of microgrid there could be a microgrid where you put in a giant gas turbine plant in the middle of your facility you put in a nuclear reactor in the middle of your facility we're in not an SMR doing are you talking about like- uh, um SM, There. Uh, well I go way like to be- with you yeah because I'm okay. I am super nerded on power now because I have to be right uh, as is Scott and what we think of as a team. But um any kind of power production that you can either you can either uh, generate with sun, but that doesn't it's going to take thousands and thousands of acres to accommodate our needs and guess what the sun doesn't always shine. Battery technology at the scale that we need, you have lithium ion, but they're, you know, they're they're expensive and you can't really scale. A gigawatt of lithium ion would be um, I don't even know. I haven't even math it. It's mind-boggling. You can actually go on Tesla's site and and I haven't done it but you can click and and pump up the numbers and they'll tell you it'll be like 750 million or a billion dollars just for the batteries or it's crazy. For real. Right? Yeah, okay. you're just buying straight up. Um, and, and they only last and you can click the hours, two to three to four hours. And of course, the numbers go crazy when you start going to four hours because it's it's you know, exponentially more batteries. Where the technology is going to go on batteries is going to be like vanadium flow batteries, iron flow batteries. These are batteries where you have a lithium ion battery at the front end that has a very fast response to meet the Sabima curve requirements of a server so it doesn't go down, connected to the same inverter with a long duration battery farm behind it um they're the this is lab based being invested in factories are being built to try and develop this thing form energy is one that we're close to because they're uh, part of the tpg family of investments they're our capital partners so we've talked extensively with them their new factory is going to be in west virginia at an old industrial site very close to us so it'll be very interesting to see where that goes so when the technology kept, catches up, I mean, it could be solid state. I mean, I don't know.
0: Hold on, but you were describing a scenario in which you'd have a single battery set that took the initial inrush current strike or hit for ten minutes. Yep, yeah. and then and then that was basically shielding the primary battery bank in addition to that, and that's another application or technology model that we're exploring. I'm not, I'm following that because I've heard everything from compressed air, massive, Oh yeah. All, you know, like you've heard I've it all, I'm sure too. I've researched every single thing. So that <coughs> Listen, the iron flow batteries about. are designed
1: to be hundred hour battery farms. They're there. They use the rusting process and solutions to create electrolysis, which creates electricity um, and dissipates that. So it can store it within the, within the fluids and the rusting of the metal. And of course, very, you can use waste iron. It's all kinds of things, pretty wide. Um, and the technology works, but here's the problem: it takes at least 10 minutes to create that, which means you have to have this front end poppy battery. That's at, at, and think about it, a gigawatt, let's say, of lithium ion. Even at 10 minutes, is a lot of money. It, it has risks associated with it. So, when do you implement a battery system like that? Do you wait until solid state really, really kicks in and comes to, and, and economically becomes either the same or cheaper? Um, do you look at the, and when you look at these batteries, you look, I, iron flows are great because it's taking a, a, it can, you can use slag materials and all kinds. Of, it's pretty wild, but you can use with it um lithium we all know the supply chain of lithium is pretty shocking when you think about where it's mined the graphite and all the different things so that have go into too. it yeah. the ships that transport it the trucks that move it the manufacturing process the the dendrites that can form within lithium batteries there there's all kinds of issues and risks around it and everything else so I've, i i fucked you up because you
0: were talking about reactors or so we we're going nuclear oh, and really. i'm going nuclear okay we'll, we'll get that. There. i want to hear we'll both no, yeah. i want
1: you to unpackage it all that's why i was yeah. like uh, I'll do the, I'll do this lockstep. So as we go, so, so fa- phase one, if you're thinking about it, we're gonna, we're gonna, what? No? oh yeah, we're gonna crack that definitely. Um, and phase one is, you know, building transmission scale substations, delivering this power to our clients and letting them contract for with the utility because we're just funding the substation and they reimburse, the customers reimburse us for it with a margin. That's our we're just. So on, So
0: you're the buying at the aggregate wholesale side. That way you don't no. become a utility. No, we can't. We can't do that because of regulatory issues from the grid. We can't take. You can't do like an all in number, I guess, on a wholesale
1: basis. Not, not yeah, off the grid. No, that, we can't do that. We, d- we can't take like if it's five cents a kilowatt hour, for example, and we go buy a PPA from some yeah. We can't flip it and mark and make, it up. Because you can't make money off it. Yeah, it's just not legal. Tavily it's regulated. a regulatory issue. Yeah. So so that's taking the grid's power. That's where the that's the limitations of the grid. But where we can't make money is is reimbursement. We make we mark that up. So which nobody complains about because we've taken the capital risk to deploy, you know, a lot of money. Building gigawatt substations, is a lot of money. Um, and then a margin around it. So everybody's happy and they deliver it. And there, there's nobody's going to complain about that. And we're not and we're not greedy. We're a wholesaler to the wholesaler. So it's all, sure. you know, we we keep our margins clean and, the, and it's open book. So they know exactly what we spent. So they know what they're paying for. So once we once, we, but, you know, it's going to be years to get to peak grid and it gives us time to work on these solutions around batteries. And that's a good thing because it everything will catch up to it. Now, in, in a battery scenario where I build a thousand megawatts of batteries, a gigawatt of battery, which has never been done anywhere in the world, hands down, never, right? Just to put this so, in the present side. So unsafe, right. And then you think if it's lithium, yeah, it can be. So, and if you think about it from the scale of my site, well, if I want to back up the entire site, you know, what's that going to be? It would take about 300 acres to do an iron flow combined lithium battery farm extremely densely and, to be able to supply a gigawatt. And 300 acres of industrial land, well, that's pretty valuable, right? So you have to think about, you know, what kind of land you're using to do that. Just as a rough example, maybe technology will densify, maybe it'll get better. I'm just talking about what's there today. So as we're researching these things, you know, we're trying to think about what path we want to take. We haven't made any decisions. We haven't, we haven't purchased anything. We talk to everybody. They're all eager to talk with us because of what it represents. That'll be our next phase of power. And we'll deliver that so that we can do things like grid arbitrage for clients. That means we can connect that to the grid and we can do what's called peak shaving. So take off the four peaks a year and and cut costs for them. Um, We can ingest purchased. And at that point, we are purchaser. We can ingest purchased PPAs of solar and wind or hydro or whatever else. So we those electrons, while it's difficult to guarantee where that electron is, exactly came from unless you could tag it which can't do but or unless it's right next to us and we're tethered right in but that's what we'll buy to ingest into that so so uh, one other thing we could do is that when um our customers are like hey you know i'm my my um you know whoever i'm buying power from is down and that means that essentially i'll be fed from a coal plant i'd rather purchase you know for the next 24 hours your uh, green power that's sitting in those batteries to augment something like that. Or we prove that the system is reliable. And then we say, well, why do you have generators? You don't need to do that anymore. Why would you spend all that money? You remove that
0: from the next And then phase. the fuel
1: issues, uh, and I'll go into all the issues around generators in a second. It could be diesel or HVO or natural gas gens or whatever it might be. And, and that's, that's an option. Uh, unfortunately, um, even though everybody wants it to happen and wants to will it to happen and legislatively people are pushing for that, the technology isn't quite there yet. The best thing in our industry is that our our customers, the hyperscalers are the greenest companies in the world, they can afford it and they're putting they're putting their money where their mouth is. So technology will rapidly ascend, but there's no definitive date, and there is no ultimate solution to to prove that out. Once we get beyond batteries and we're at peak grid and we're providing an, a green solution for our clients, where do you go? You know, the, the, there's options around production. Now we don't anticipate production on our campus, meaning we become a power plant. More than anything, because it's probably not going to be tolerated in Maryland. Um, now, if we go to other state, it wouldn't be tolerated probably in California. You can imagine how you know the difficulties around approval in California. It's probably a decade of work to create the kind of things, the scale of what we want to do. Um, Illinois possible, Texas, very possible. You know, now you have to be in a non, you have to be outside of the non-attainment areas because there's some emissions restrictions in some of the bigger cities. But if you do that right and interconnected, you have the possibility of doing all kinds of different things around that. Now, what would generation be? Uh, here's the reality of, of, uh, we'll go into nuclear now. Um, when you talk about a small modular reactor, what that means it, aside from technology, is a scale size. Generally, it's 50 megawatts. A medium modular reactor might be up to 500 megawatts. Uh, a normal big reactor be like a Westinghouse 1000, you know, 1,000 megawatt reactor. The Vogel reactors built in, by the Southern Company in Georgia. There's two of them. They're modular in their design that they're 50% less parts than, than, than the previous reactors that they're built right next to. Um, they built two of them. Took them 18 years, $34 billion dollars. 80% of that funded by the Department of Energy, insanely over budget. And now they had some vibrations to harmonics in the pump systems and they haven't even quite turned them up for full energy production yet. Correlate this to Georgia. Georgia in the last 100 years is, has ramped up to 15 gigawatts of power across the state. Right? What drove that? 100 years of growth, just industrial growth in the city and everything Healthy else. though, they did it right. 15 gigawatts. The demand request on the utilities in Georgia right now from today... 2024 till 2027 is an additional 17 gigawatts. Now it took 18 years to build two gigawatts in a reactor, so you can see where yeah yeah the reactor problem comes in. And this is the very this is the la- the only reactor currently built for production anywhere underway in North America at scale. A small modular reactor like NuScale, for example, believe they're 76 or 78 megawatts. Let's just call them 70 something megawatts. Um, They are the first new design approved by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and gone through all the process and have been anointed. They're testing in Idaho now. I believe it's Idaho. Might have got that wrong. Might be Wyoming. But, you know, the two states next to each other. So it's helpful in that in that region. They're testing. They had a bunch of contracts. A lot of those contracts have fallen through because their costs have doubled already. New Scales reactor is simply a pressurized water reactor with much less parts, much more efficiently made, but it's just a pressurized water reactor, just like a, a, a Rolls-Royce reactor or a GE Hitachi reactor, just like a Westinghouse reactor, a traditional reactor. They're just traditional, it's just smaller. Um, if you think about that and that they're they're they still have years of testing and their pricing is already doubled, it starts to show you some of the problems that come into, into building nuclear. All that being said, I absolutely think it's the future, and we we will be putting our money where our mouth is and and signing agreements to take on nuclear power, but somebody else has to do it. We're not in the business of doing that. So, um, you know, being agnostic to reactor technology, Looking at at boiling water pressurized water reactors, um, there are pebble bed reactors starting to be built in China and other places. That takes a, a sphere of of uh, ceramic material instead of rods and has the uranium two thirty eight inside of it. Um, uh, they're 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 safer theoretically. But they, you yeah, know, they're just starting to come to fruition. Everything in nuclear takes a long time. Um, there's things like fast reactors where you take spent fuel. Um, there was testing done in the 1960s. I think a company called Ukla or, um oh, I might've gotten this wrong. I'm butchering their name. In the 60s? No, no, no. Uh, the government did in the 60s in a test reactor. And there's a company, I believe, called Ukla, but I, I might be butchering this name. I've talked to so many, I'm losing track. And there's there's actually a company here in Austin called ALO. Not like ALO, the yoga stuff, but A-A-L-O. Uh, and the CEO's here, but he's, he's just, he's doing something called the Merlin reactor, which is a very, very small reactor, like a 10 megawatt reactor that's being tested in, in uh, maybe Lawrence Livermore or something like that, or Sandia. I don't know. What but, would that application be residential? Um, it, his goal is doing multiples of them. So, you know, you have 50, you have five of them. It's 50
0: megawatts. You got 10 Seems of them. Like it's, it's a small pocketed one though. You could probably make that look like it's in a shed or a house, house of its own. And it's not going to be as conspicuous. Yeah. right we're going to put it in your backyard. How do you feel about that? I'd be fine with that. You're military, so you I grew you, like, on you grew up a submarine. Yeah, yeah exactly. likely I know that it's the most reliable, most safest, and most scalable form of energy that we can get our hands on. Absolutely. And I think that everybody that doesn't know shit about nuclear needs to watch nuclear now. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, have you seen that movie? Oliver Stone brought it out oh, yeah. like last year. Yeah, but he does a great. Like he doesn't. You don't have to be an Oliver Stone fan, and you don't have to get political with it. But it's hard to not capture his intent in that movie which was to bifurcate the difference between nuclear weapons Mm -hmm. and nuclear energy and i think a lot of the people that were against nuclear energy were really just more against nuclear weapons and on accident they killed both right and that is the greatest thing that we have to do because i think the greatest like when christian and i were talking we were i took him to go see rogan last night and we were you know sitting down shooting the shit in the middle and i was like i do think he asked me because he's you've known him he's a big Mm -hmm picture big blue sky. He is absolutely visionary, inspiring person. And, you know, after poking me enough, he's like, you know, what are you trying to actually accomplish? And I was like, listen, man, I'm just so stupid that I think that this industry, which is the greatest industry ever, right. And it's, it grows greater and faster than every other industry because of the growth of every other industry, hmm. every industry's adoption rate of technology, regarding how fast it emerges, it all falls back into what you and I do for a living. Yeah, so Absolutely. people don't realize this, but this is like. You know, I was told porn was recession proof. You know, I'm thinking that this is recession proof because porn is recession proof. You get what I'm saying? It's still online. Terramark survived.
1: <laughs> I'm not joking. In right. the dot-com bust on porn and spammers and you know what? They paid their bills. It was like, filled it up with that. And then they all left. But, that, but that's but how that, we survived But the reality is, then.
0: is technology is everything. Yeah. And, and this industry is very, because it is 25 years old, it's not mainstream yet, right? Mm-hmm. And because it's not mainstream, we're going to continue to deal with a problem that a more mature, more sophisticated vertical of industry. If you were in uh, the, the legal industry or the healthcare industry or medical industry, you know, they have ethics that they have is at the forefront of their profession. So they don't have to wonder what all the unintended consequences are gonna be. Now, obviously there will be some that they can't expect, but we in this industry are still making messes as we go. There's like, just, the soup's never done cooking. So it's hard to optimize a system that you haven't even standardized on because you can't even stabilize it yet. We can't even keep up with it. That's what I'm saying. And now, it's be- now you've got the crazy AI boom doing the same thing. I mean, so, unreal, I'm ne- frenetic pace. I've AI won't go anywhere. Like That's what I'm saying. But okay. you and I both know at some point people don't get it. Like we're at an existential crisis on labor and power and people, that's what this platform is for is I'm like, listen, and that's why I'm asking these amazing, you, the luminaries of this industry to come in and be like, Hey, I don't think people are listening. So the, the chorus is what sings louder than the soloist. So I wanted to get a whole steady thread of people on here that are like, Hey, you need to be paying attention week over week, over week, over week. And that's how we create the omnipresence of awareness of what power is going to be because because just like the, like the innovation of technology, it moves twice at the speed of the human evolution of biology. Biological evolution is lagging and our ability to create solutions for power are lagging because of us. Innovation and technology get advanced 10 times faster than us, but we will hold this whole thing back.
1: Well, l- look at the problem of nuclear. Because there's going to be, there has to be something to fill the gap in between that. You're talking about a guy that is a big advocate for it, right? We we can all be advocates. So if you and I right now today, we're like, we're going to do it. And you and I said, I've got, you've got 10 billion and I've got 10 billion. It's probably what it's going to take to build something. And then we try and cite it. Well, God, where are we going to put it? Because I don't care what you do or how good it it is. No, no, this is reality, though. This is reality. You had COP28, where where all the governments in the world came together after the Middle East fought and fought and fought and and said, no, 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 it's oil and gas. But of course, in reality, it doesn't work for the environment. And they said they're going to triple nuclear. So how do you actually execute that? In particular, I'm going to focus on the U.S. because the market I care about is where I'm doing business. How do we execute it here in a regulatory environment that makes it insanely difficult? In the best case, if you and I both pumped in $10 billion each personally, you're ready to write a check? So we put that in place, right? And we go with an existing reactor technology that is certified
0: that's the key so that means not a not, not a concept new, or a theoretical one this is one that's been applied is, it's got metrics that we can measure yeah.
1: so let's call it let's call it westinghouse 300 reactor or uh soon there's the rolls-royce reactors rolls-royce has 68 active reactors in the world never an accident it's great they're 482 megawatts each so that'd be kind of the size to be media modular really to make sense for yeah. our industry because of the kind of scale Today, if we went with a fully approved reactor, right, it would be at least 10 years, at least to bring it to life. So so now we look at the existential problem of power. I mentioned Georgia before and this this demand that is impossible to fulfill. How do you deal with the stopgap in between it all? You also have, and you just saw it bubbling up in the last week now, uh, uh, the administration is now like, wait, Bitcoin's bad. (laughs) <laughs> uh, the, because the price went crazy. Right. And then they, and then the DOE really? and everybody else started reporting and the grid FERC and everybody else started reporting, Hey, they're doing, you know, Bitcoin specific mining is, is taking up probably 3% of the grid now. So now I, I think there's going to be, you know, I, I don't do business with Bitcoin guys. That's great. I don't, I, I believe in blockchain. I'm not a big fan of Bitcoin. It's just a personal thing, but uh blockchain's amazing. Great technology. We'll be buying real estate with a, you and I'll touch our phones together and we'll transact a house or something. I mean, that's going to come, but um, I, I, it's going to be really interesting to see if all of a sudden the Bitcoin miners are like, Hey, you got to shut down, go somewhere else. We don't want you here. Now, where are you going to go? Uh, you go to Asia. There's like, I think there's a new coal plant a week being turned up in Asia right now. For real. Oh yeah. Our, our, our coal that we're all of our plants are shutting down, but in, you know, where you have a huge percent of the population between India and China, they're building them like crazy. And they're like, They're like, we're not going to stop. We have booming economies. We need to achieve these things. And the only way to do that is coal. But what we're doing is exporting our coal there. So, you know, the climate issues, we all forget we're on one planet and the things that go along with it, but we want what we want. We want our phones to work. We want the internet to work, be it a porn or be it a business or whatever it might be. It's all got to work, right? We need everything to function. Our entire economy relies on that. Now you've got this bursting up of AI, um, it is, it's a little bubbly, a lot of people pouring a lot of money into a lot of gigawatts of stuff. And I, I think that, um, if, if you don't stick to your fundamentals of energy, water, fiber, and land, and you start building to accommodate very specifically around that, and you're, and you're, and you aren't really looking at the business plans behind that. Like, are, is everybody really making money with AI? Is, are all the billions being pumped in to accommodate that? I say this because I've lived through, Cycle after cycle after cycle, and if you just stay the course of core infrastructure, Base it's needed no matter. Network connectivity. It's needed no matter what you do, and and then if but if you start chasing very specific demand sets, if I said my campus was a Bitcoin campus and we sold to a bunch of Bitcoiners, and then the you know the administration pulls the plug on Bitcoin, you know that who knows? Um, you remember the metaverse? You know, sure. Meta's still losing billions on the metaverse. That metaverse got quiet all of a sudden, right? It, sure. Stopped hearing about it. Do you remember TikTok and you know the last administration's goal to, you know, to force TikTok to then and ByteDance to deploy all their infrastructure in the US? That was behind Oracle and ByteDance themselves doing their own stuff. Huge surge took up all the spare capacity along with Meta's metaverse, but you don't hear about that anymore. That's poof, gone. Now it's all about AI taking up everybody's spare capacity, which was gone already, and then some and you know, pre-signing for stuff. I don't know what's going to come
0: next. You know, these are just waves and, you know. I don't know what the fad is. I don't know. Uh, You're right. You're spot on on how the cycles are up and down in terms of what is uh, consistent and inconsistent. But over the course of time, you know, if you track every industrial revolution to now, the first industrial revolution gave us steam power. The second gave us electricity as well as the motor car. The third gave us nuclear power, which we, developed actually in a 55 year gap. There was a 55 year gap between the second and the third industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. In that gap, we had four wars. We had World War One. then we had prohibition, mm-hmm then we had the great depression and then we had world war two and then we had korea and then vietnam so there's a less of an industrial revolution during those really really downtrodden times where we have major wars but when we came back to it we had another form of energy which was nuclear and then we had a lot of issues with nuclear but nuclear was mainstream for a bit there right Mm -hmm. and then in the fifth and or the fourth industrial revolution we did get more power we just got it from quantum computing and we got it from ai and ar and vr and all the other cool things that come with that we're in a technology revolution now we 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 sure shit are it started at the end of covid you know so in 2020 we really started the fifth industrial, ref- fifth industrial revolution and what you and i are talking about is proof of what it is and that's where we have a more harmonious relationship with the technology in our life and the machines in our lives because the unintended consequences of those previous ones like you said are gross pollution right and i remember reading a paper when i was in college where it was the cto of china and uh And he goes, how do you feel about the CTO of like Dell saying, yeah, we outsource all of our manufacturing to China. He goes, that's just what the Americans think. We outsource all of our marketing to America. We're an industrial, you know, country that's built on building things, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? But the optics are changing based on which way you view it, right? For us, we've gotten power in every industrial revolution. I think what I believe is going to happen in this fifth industrial revolution is, AI in the demand for it, like you said, it's bubbly, but it's prevalent and it isn't going anywhere. And you talk to anybody, and they're going to tell you that it's going to be ten x of what cloud demand was. And we don't even have enough power to support cloud demand. Today. More than ten x, more. Than, I mean, there, let's just there's, say conservatively, there's sixty to hundred
1: gigawatts. And and it's funny when I talk to to luminaries of our industry, um, more business people, luminaries, not not nerds, but sure. the business side. They're like, I don't believe it. Eight out of ten, I'm not joking. They're like, it's not really true. That's all. Mm you know and then yet we're seeing companies saying i'm spending 60 billion this year on it i'm spending this and that and
0: i i, I forgot what I somebody just miss- reported 34 billion it's it's crazy numbers the missing part though but you were almost onto it when you're asking me if i had my 10 billion and you had your 10 billion but it doesn't take you or me i think one the adoption rate of emerging technologies will never slow down, but the pent-up demand for more will only put more constraint on the very highly constrained power solution that exists not only for our industry, but for other commercial or industrial evolu- you know, industries that need power as well. And I think that that pain is going to force us to invest in the long game for the first time. That 10-year cycle, where we're not getting anything returned back on our investment, but these infrastructure real estate asset groups are going to start investing into these 13, 15 year, you know, returns instead of 60 year returns, whatever, but it's going to be there for 60 years because you're going to refuel it twice. Right. So they're like, okay, this is what's going to happen is everybody has to slow down. The fifth industrial revolution is about slowing it down. So figure out how we can measure we have to take this industry and make it more mainstream. The Mm -hmm. the mission critical industry cannot be a stepchild industry. It needs to be more mainstream, not only so that we could draw in more talent and get your kids and my kids will be in this industry. And if not, then they're going to be working for a business that's in the orbit of the ecosystem of this industry, because everything ties back to technology.
1: I think think it's actually mainstream more than you realize. And I think that Every state and every municipality wants it. Virginia's mainstream. Virginia's super mainstream, but Virginia has become too much of a good thing. So the the NIMBYism that exists in Virginia is, is spreading like wildfire across communities. Interesting. And that's creating, it's making intensely difficult. And the people drive by and they're like, we don't want these smoking warehouses. They've chilled water systems in cold weather and it smokes, but yeah. they think it's smoke um or there's a hum from the chillers or there's the diesel generators you know all of a sudden there's a hundred generators all firing up and putting out smoke even if it's only eight hours a year people are still concerned with it uh it, it's interesting to see it in loudon county which is the wealthiest county in the country is it wealthy because of just because folks live there no it's wealthy because of this technology innovation that's happened and centered around there that is absolutely the catalyst and engine has kept their taxes low has brought in very high paying jobs pumps money into that economy Yet you're seeing uh, extreme resistance. Um, uh, uh, the Compass QTS campus down in Prince William, uh, it's next to Manassas National Battlefield. That's complicated. It it, it was the, it was approved with a lame duck county commission um, to actually convert that land. It's, uh, it it is, I think it's going to be embedded in lawsuits for years and you've got everybody suing everybody because they don't want it. They don't want, it's right along the transmission lines, the hot ones, but those are due to be enhanced. So they're, you know, they're playing the long game of time to develop it. Um, you know, many, many million square feet. It's about 2000 acres, a little, little bit smaller than ours. I'm two thousand, 2000, and it's two entities doing it. Uh, and and then then you have the same situation with data centers spreading south in Virginia and these rural counties are fighting it they're suing they're turning them down they're they' it's just problems galore so it, it, it's a mainstream uh, mature industry that's always constantly on the edge of technological change and and facing resistance from the communities that they actually do great things for like, um, uh, you know, if you have a data center campus, you do millions of square feet. You don't need a lot of roads other than during the construction time. Your traffic counts are very low. Your, your um, impact to schools, which are the biggest funding issue for anybody anywhere, are very low because you don't have that many people. These buildings that cri- provide incredible tax revenue don't actually need that underlying normal community support infrastructure like roads
0: and but schools. But maybe that's what Quantum Loophole 2.0 needs to be, is where you do include schools and you do include living capacity. Like you're creating an urban city well, out well, of well, nowhere, right? One, where you're...
1: 1.0 does that right now.
0: So we, we work with the community. People to- can live there.
1: Oh they they so so we'll generate about 1500 jobs across this giant campus. The community will easily support that. The same kind of infrastructure if it was a warehouse, just a warehouse, which is perfectly entitled to do with its zoning, millions of square feet of warehouses huge, billions of dollars of road infrastructure. I had no idea. That's it, awesome. All that stuff would have to be produced. Um, you'd have to do billions of dollars of schools to support all of the workers who work in the warehouse and the trucks that come in and out. The roads would be damaged, the noise, the dangers, all that stuff. With us, 1,500 jobs, very little road. We do roundabouts. There's very little road enhancements needed. We're paying for all the sewage and all the infrastructure. The county doesn't have to pay for that. That enhances and supports and connects to their system. We cool our data centers with with um, treated sewage wastewater that goes in the Potomac River every day, millions of gallons of cooling water. So we don't take we don't use potable drinking water for cooling the data centers. All those all those things coming into play. So it's extremely good. Yeah, and there's studies done around this. Uh, Maryland Technology Council did a Sage report. Incredible impact. It's probably very conservative, and it was still an incredible impact economically to the county with very low impact to that infrastructure. So that's data centers overall, as long as they're done right. Um, I, the, the, the power issue is where it all comes back down to in land use uh, are affecting things. It, let, let's say today I build a gigawatt campus and I said, I'm going to 100% support this campus with solar. First of all, it's impossible because the batteries, Bullshit. we already discussed that right. can't happen. And it would take, how many acres do you think to do that?
0: Um, I don't know, probably half a state.
1: Not that much, but it would take it would take six to eight thousand acres of farmland generally, right? Because it's if you're gonna, you know, yeah, yeah, it's to, out in the middle of now. that. Yeah. You know, or forest. Okay, it let's cut down a forest. That. Or is it farmland that produces food? Nope, let's stop all that. Let's now put solar panels on that that can only produce a certain amount of power during the peak. And and wait, you have to have a concurrent battery farm. So that's another few hundred acres that goes along with it. And we already said earlier the technology doesn't exist around it. Um, You go to some states where the data must be exchanged, where these immovable objects, internet exchanges sit, and and you have to network within a certain latency metric to that. And if that area has no wind, well, then wind's not an option, right? You can get wind from afar and there is loss, but then you start to have the grid issues, the same thing that come along with it. The the immovable fact that as clean as we all want to be is that there will be carbon burned to create energy to be able to support not just data centers, but the growth of the country. Forget coal's all being churned down. They're being shut down as fast as we can go. Diablo Canyon out in California, the nuclear reactor, they were, you know, everybody's protesting. They didn't want any nukes in California. Then they realized that their lights would go out. And all of a sudden now they're like, well, we're gonna gonna extend the life of Diablo Canyon much longer. And it's got Indian history around it. There's a lot of baggage around that plant beyond it all. And it's older plants, older plants are older technology, that which which have the correlated risks to go along with it, um, so it's it's a it's a tough pickle. So that, what what is carbon? That's going to be the reality of it. If you told me today, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a gas turbine in place, a combined cycle gas turbine, 500 megawatt GE 8X turbine, roughly 500 megawatts, um, which has unfortunately you can estimate eight to ten percent downtime every year for maintenance. That turbine today can burn fifty percent hydrogen. But the hydrogen economy is gobbledygook doesn't make any sense even with the incentives it would cost 19 cents a kilowatt hour to because wow. to, if you took gray hydrogen cracked it from natural gas which is the mandate with the with the with the hydrogen hubs that were approved some of them and then you had to use electricity electricity to crack the the natural gas to create the hydrogen or you can do steam methane reforming to do that And then you have to have a new pipeline to deliver it because the same pipelines can't use it. It doesn't work the same way. It's different pressures, different everything. If you want to store it, you have to super cool it. That takes energy to then store that liquid hydrogen. And and so it gets nuts. If you want to use hydrogen just as a backup, that's 31 cents a kilowatt hour. You know, it, the numbers go crazy. So then, if then if you said, "I want to use renewable natural gas," how do you create that? Well, that's going to be from from pig farms, from you know animal waste or cattle farms. You know, and we have we have some of those pen areas in West Texas, things like that. Or is it is it a garbage dump? So you, know, it's poo or poo because you're dealing with you know we talk about poo a lot on this uh, uh, today. It's a poo day. Um, you know, it's going to be poopy, poopy diapers in a landfill, but that makes methane, which is really not good for burning it's 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 a it's stinky to top it off so you have to clean up that methane to get it to become pipeline ready gas and the volume of natural gas that you can get from a landfill from multiple landfills would not be able to be accommodate combined cycle 500 megawatt ge at 8x turbines remember eight to ten eight to ten percent downtime a year so you can't just have one you have to have two but then that's well shit that's only 500 megawatts and 500 megawatts but i need I, let's say I need four gigawatts. Well, how, well, how many more turbines do right. I do? Where is that gas going to come from? Landfill's impossible. Hydrogen doesn't make any financial sense and doesn't exist. I don't Hydrogen think there the are economy. solutions yet either. I think you think that there, um, there is, it's, it's a pipeline. It, it's going to take our, you know, we're, we're one of the biggest producers of natural gas in the world. And right here in Texas, we produce tons. We're up in Pennsylvania and shale. They produce tons. You think that'll be the solution? It'll be the interim solution. Remember what I said when I started this. So you've got you've peaked out on the grid. You have a lot of coal plants, other things being turned down. Now, what does the grid consist of? It consists of um, hydro. That's great, but there'll be no new hydro in this country. No chance. They're even taking hydro, you know, dams Why is down. That? I've
0: heard that before. Why it's, are they? Is it just end they've already life?
1: maximized what can be developed, and they're even taking them down because of salmon um, oh, spawning okay. and that things makes like more that. sense. So, so they're actually so that, that's really disappearing um you have pumped hydro that's where you go up on a mountain top you have a lake and then when you need backups like the biggest battery, more batteries in this country are using that than anything else when you you pump the water up to this lake and when you have an outage like think you about it like a battery like gravity you drop it down it spins turbines yeah it's like you do your turbines a lot turbines have a lot of different flavors and then it fills into another basin and then when you don't need it as a battery you even electricity is working again you pump it back up and then your battery is restored it's mostly used as batteries, not as yeah. true generation or production. You have coal. Now, we, we all know coal is going, going the way of the dodo in this country. It is accelerating in China and India and, and Asia. Accelerating. The places where we have the greatest forms of pollution in the world, you mean? Massive. And massive pollution. And, and guess what? The wind currents carried around the world where it is, and they're, and they're like, we're not stopping because our economies are, especially India, they're developing. They're not going to stop southeast asia in particular
0: so i think unless there's a disruptor of of an industry i think there needs to be like think of this
1: we'll 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 get to that though the we'll get i'll get to the disrupt the 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 hype around disrupting right so let let me go through these things so you've got you got coal which is going the way of the dodo in this country you've got combined cycle gas turbines making the majority of the electricity in this country just of sustained twenty-four-seven electricity, um, combined cycle, very efficient. Um, they're burning natural gas, right? That—that's what they're doing. Um, the you've got renewable natural gas is injected into the same pipeline just like if you bought solar or things like that they're injected into the grid it's injected in the same pipeline unless you're directly on or next to the landfill and using that but it's still not enough to burn it's a rate right table yeah. you buying a ppa yeah and, and like a sewage plant a sewage treatment plant has waste gases you can maybe make four megawatts for a plant that might that would serve the city of dallas You know, that it just doesn't make a lot, you know, so, so that, that's it. Now we, we have 10% of our electricity in this country is, is covered by nuclear reactors and that's pretty static. What Um, was that number you said? 10%. Yeah. 10% and that's it. And, and the only new reactor in the last 18 years is the Vogel reactor and still hasn't even started up. And it was
0: $34 billion, massively over budget. I thought they reconverted that plant back to a coal plant or wherever they built that reactor plant at.
1: Uh, No, there's where Vogel is, was an existing reactor. Okay. Existing, uh, I think they were Westinghouse previous gen reactors. Um, And then now there are these new, I think it's called a BRW 1000. I forgot the, they all have different names, but it's a 1,000 megawatts each. Very small stack, doesn't have the usual, sorry about that, doesn't have the usual. You know, big cooling tower yeah. that comes up. It's much smaller, much more condensed, much less parts, much safer in its design, um, much more automated in its resiliency and backup systems. Um, so I, you know, but I think it's great, but that's it. So now, so, and then we have, we, we, we've reached this inflection point where the amount of potential generation around the country with solar and wind, particularly out West in the deserts and things like that, West Texas, you know, where, where places where there's a lot of wind flow. Are, are are massive, but they they have a life cycle too. You don't just put up a wind turbine and a one megawatt wind turbine. Let's say which one to three or megawatts, is kind of the standard range of designs. They degrade. The turbine itself does; it needs maintenance. The blades, they have no way to dispose of them. They bury them you know so they, really yeah there's there's an eco waste cycle that goes along with it. it's not all perfectly green and it's not you don't build a turbine and say oh 20 years later worry about it they i, I don't even know the lifetime It depends on the I, everything but there's there's issues around them they're made out of fiberglass and they 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 what do you do with them there's not much use there's i think one little company starting to recycle a little but it's not not good solar panels you know they're the moment you put it in just like when the moment you bought a phone or a laptop it's outdated the moment you put it in because newer technology newer densification of of the of the of the panel itself are coming in so the solar panel waste is massive there is no such thing really such a thing as clean energy they all have baggage so, so now, if, if you look at the reality of our situation in this country, the stopgap for 24-7 power is going to be a massive uptick of natural gas turbines across this country with incredible emissions hardware on them that will raise the cost per kilowatt produced but will make them very clean. I'll, I'll, if you look at like um, backup, we talk about backup in data centers all the time. And why do we even have it? It's the engineering warm blanket. Yeah, And that's a quote from a hyperscaler. So we have to have this warm blanket to, because no engineer wants to be the guy who gets fired because he said, nah, we don't need generators there. The grid's good. They're never going to say that. And I, I'm the only person I know who's actually, well, and my colleagues at the time who experienced a month of outage at a data center. And that was Napa, the Americas. And that was because- yeah, one of the biggest, it was the biggest data center in the world at, the, at still at that time. I think a bigger one might have been built in Japan just around this. But in 2005, three hurricanes hit in one month in Miami. And the grid was so jacked up and it's such dirty sine wave feeds from it that everything was shut off and we were just running on gens. We okay. had to. I so it was out. We weren't we weren't out, but we yeah. were running on gens. When we talk about emergency generators, they run eight hours a year for testing. They burn diesel right? You have tier four, which make them quite clean and uh, especially non-attainment areas to control your emissions. Um, People modify tier two gens to be tier four compliant, things like that. You have HVO, hydrogenated vegetable oil as an alternative backup fuel, right? It, It is chemically identical to diesel. Once it's refined, it's produced from soybean or switchgrass or all these different things. Very few refineries on the East coast. I think there's only one in Nova Scotia right now, a lot in the Midwest, most of it out West in California producing this. Um, so you're refining a vegetable material, which has its own inherent carbon sink. However, its emissions are exactly the same. Exactly. Because it's it's chemically identical. It's, it's known if you get a carbon credit because it's got its own natural carbon sink. Okay. But it's still the same thing. So then the next alternative would be things like Enchanted Rock or Wasilla or all these different engines that run on natural gas again, which is prevalent in all over this country. The good thing about those, these are piston engines, not turbines now. Just for emergency backup, they have 9% of the emissions of diesel. They're more expensive. The maintenance is harder on them. There's flaws to them, but that—you know—that that's another option that does exist out there.